0: This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at
1: gatewayfellowship.com. Let me ask you a question. I have a question for you. Are you ready? You ready? Okay, here it is right here. Um, In America, how many homes do you think have a nativity scene. So what percentage of homes, is going to be coming up here on the screen because I can see, there we go. What percentage of Americans have a nativity scene in their home? Now just lock a number in 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 your mind and I'm going to put four numbers up on the screen in just a moment. What percentage of Americans have a nativity scene in their home? All right, four four numbers. Number one is 30%. So just think about that. Maybe you were close to that. Number two, 60%. Think about that. Number three, 10%, think about that one. And number four is 40%. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna have a clap off and we'll see who's right, okay? Um, so if you think 30% of American homes have a nativity scene, clap. Really? Okay. 60%. Wow. 10%? 40%. Okay, it's kind of hard. Um, I think it was like between sixty percent and forty percent. Okay, so like clap off, okay, clap off. So sixty percent, forty percent. Okay, forty percent. Okay, that. So, um, the, um, actually, there is there's is a group of people who who track this stuff. You know, like how many, how many homes have a nativity scene, and that, that the correct answer is actually close to 40%. 43% of American homes today have a nativity scene. Yeah, 43%. I, I would have never have, have guessed that. Nor would I have guessed that that's up since 2020, when it was 39%. So, you know, in 2020, there was 39%. Now it's kind of moved up uh, to 43%. I don't, they didn't say why, but more people today have a nativity scene than perhaps have ever before. So, Jen's mom uh, lived with us until her passing um, just in September, September the 1st. But one of her last requests, interesting enough, um, is, was that Jen would place the, her nativity scene in our home, you know, where, where she was living. So she had had one made for her, and so she asked Jen to display that. So, of course, um, with tears and a lot of emotion, um, Jen put up her mom's nativity scene um, right there in our home, and it's, it's there right, right right now. But there's something uh, about a, a nativity scene that I want to draw our attention to that maybe we've nev- never thought about, but a little, little history on the nativity. It actually goes back way to 80, uh, 1223 um, and was, was created by Fran- uh, Francis of Assisi. It's the first nativity scene after his trip to the Holy Land. Uh, nativity is Latin, means arisen by birth. It's a representation of the night of Jesus at birth. We know that because that's, that's what it does. And even though all of our nativity scenes aren't exactly biblically correct, they are, I'll just say, story correct, right? All the elements of the story are, are there. But there is one thing about all of our nativity scenes and the one in our home, and at least four or five out of 10 of you, maybe may more, there's one thing that I am pretty confident uh, is true in 100% of the nativity scene. So, what do you think that one thing is? You, okay, baby Jesus, pretty good. Okay, I'm gonna push you further than that right there. That's, that's like, what did you talk about today? Well, we talked about God in church. Of course, we did. Okay, so of course, baby Jesus, you are right. But uh, let me push you a little further. What's the one thing true about every nativity scene? I think 100%? Jesus is true. Yeah, we have wise men, we have shepherds, we have you know, other animals, all that kind of stuff. All, all, all of those things. Um, and I think, I think you're, you're probably there, and you, probably, you may have even said it, and I just didn't, didn't hear it. But the one thing that we always see is this. Jesus, the manger, is in the center of the scene. Let's think about that. That's what I want to talk to you about for, for just a few moments. It, it matters so much Uh, that the kids in our daycare recognized something was missing in our nativity scene downstairs. I just learned this 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 week when I was sharing today with with the team. And this is a a picture of of the nativity scene that's downstairs with our children. It's all there, but what's missing? Yeah, exactly. Baby, Jesus. And uh, to date, I checked just between services. We don't know where he is. You know, so Anyway, um, and, and it was the kids who discovered it. No, I well, he wasn't born yet. You're giving the kids an out now, don't okay. But the kids go like, where's baby Jesus? Right? Because baby Jesus is a part of the story, and baby Jesus and the manger is always in the center of the story. And so I, I just want to ask you some questions. Here they are. Think of how odd it would be To actually take Jesus out of the nativity and just have a nativity scene that didn't include Jesus. How odd would that be? That'd be weird. I mean, yeah, you'd probably look at, you know, your neighbor's nativity scene and go, like, something's wrong. And maybe you say something and and maybe you don't. But, like, that's odd to take Jesus out of the nativity. That's what it's all about. You can take out, you know, the wise men and shepherds, perhaps. But never Jesus. How odd would it be to take Jesus out of the story, right? I mean, the Christmas story, it's why we gather, it's why we, why we celebrate this time of year. But what if the story became everything else or anything else other than Jesus? Or how odd would it be if you went into your neighbor's home and you looked at their nativity scene and Jesus wasn't in the center of the story, but he was tucked in the corner, Maybe the shepherds were in the center. Maybe maybe the, uh, you know, some of the animals or something, they were kind of moved to the center. And where's Jesus? And you're kind of looking around. And he's tucked back, back in, the, in, the, in the corner. How odd would that be? It would be odd. But is that something that we kind of do in life? I mean, think about it and... and, and it, maybe for some it's true, and maybe you've experienced this, or you, you, you know and someone else who, who has experienced this, that Jesus is at the center of the story, or at the center of the scene, like when we need him, like when things are going really, really bad, well, we, we push Jesus right to the center because we need him right now, but, but when things are going really, really well, we, I mean, we kind of tuck Him in the back just a little bit, you know, where he's a little bit out of the way, and maybe we do that consciously, maybe we don't do it consciously, but things, things are going, you know, things are being challenged in life, life's challenged, so we kind of bring Jesus right back to the center where we need him, and then things are going well, and he kind of goes back, or, or maybe it looks like this. Um, we've been hurt, and maybe we've been hurt by the church, or we've been hurt by another, uh, uh, you know, believer, and so we're so hurt, we go like, we can't quite figure that out, and Jesus goes right right to the back. We can see that happening perhaps in life today, and the result is this. Jesus just becomes part of the scene, not the center of the scene or the center of the story. He's part of the story, but he doesn't reside in in the center. Or maybe I would say it this way. Jesus is is kind of an add-on. You know, an add-on, it's just like, you know, I'll just make him kind of like one of the others He's an add-on, maybe a little fire insurance because, like, <clears throat> we all know there's a heaven and a hell. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to add Jesus to my life just to be sure, you know, I don't go there. So I add him, him on. But the key question today that I just want to kind of float out here and have you, have you think about it, maybe take home with you is this. Jesus is the center of the story, but is the, the center of life. So Jesus is the center of your manger scene or your nativity scene, but is he the center of life? And, and then I'd like for us to kind of personalize it just a little bit. Jesus is the center of the story, but is he the center of my life? I'd like for us to kind of think about that for just a, f- a few moments. So what's it, what's it look like when Jesus is the center of the story and the center of all of life. Let me give you some things. Number one, it means that you acknowledge him as Lord of your life, as Lord. Now, there, there, there's a difference that we need to understand here and in, insist that you don't make him Lord by acknowledging him as Lord. He already is Lord, right? He already is Lord. You don't make him Lord, but we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we acknowledge him as Lord of my life. You're the center of my life. You're lord of my life. I submit to you the lordship of Jesus Christ. It means that we surrender our will to his. And it means that we obey Christ in all of life. It begins with Christ at the center and extends out affecting every area of our life. And this is what life with Jesus at the center looks like. He's here and everything that extends out from here is recognized by who's at the center. I'll give you some scriptures. Number one is Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three. But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What famous football player signs this autograph with Matthew 633? Do you know? I know you forgot him already because he went to play for the Denver Broncos, right? Yeah, Russell Wilson, right? So um But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, we kind of screw that scripture up a little bit, some of us, sometimes, because we think it this way. If I seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things that I desire will become a part of my life. Now, that would be cool, wouldn't it? It's like, but the problem with that is we're removing Jesus from the center and we're placing ourselves in the center and we're determining what's best for our life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are all of these things then? Here's what happens. When we seek the kingdom, when we seek God, when we seek his righteousness, then his priorities become my priorities and those things are added to my life Now it's about who he is, not about who I am. Now it's about what he wants and what he desires, not what I want and I desire. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. all these things will be added to you. That's making him Lord of your life. Number two, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, everybody say word and deed, because that's going to be important in just a moment. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do word, our our voices, or our deeds, our actions, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus because he's at the center. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I, I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. It's making him Lord of our life. It's Jesus at the center of the story, the center of the scene, and center of my life. When people see Jesus at the center of life, they observe a difference in three key areas, and I want to give them to you. And I would even suggest that, it, that if, if he isn't seen in these three areas, then you kind of wonder where a person is in their relationship with Jesus. Three, three key areas. Number one is in behavior. If Jesus is the center of our life, that will be observable in our behavior. So I used to ask mom, um, when she, when she was alive, when I was a little guy, I was the Christmas baby, right? Um, mom, what do you want? We had so I had four siblings. So, mom, what, what do you want for Christmas? And you know what? I don't know how many years she would say, "All I want is good kids." <laughs> and I would say, "Mom, I don't know how we can do that with my siblings." You know, but I get that. I get the problem. So, anyway, all I want, all I want is good kids because. With Jesus at the center, it's it's about behavior. Philippians chapter two, verse three and four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's talking about behavior. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So um, with Jesus at the center now of my life, with Jesus at the center of the story, our behavior is going to change. Our behavior toward others is patterned after the example of Jesus, the one at the center. Can I add this? Our behavior towards all people, whether they are followers of Jesus or not, is patterned after the example of Jesus, the one who's at the center of the story and the center of life. Sometimes our hurt, which can be real, it causes us to move Jesus to the back. And when that happens, it affects our our behavior. Our behavior on the outside reveals who is at the center of of my life. What others experience points to our own experience with Jesus. What others experience in our behavior will point to our experience and who is at the center of my life. Now I have a question for you. And it it says, what if our commitment to Jesus and his word and to the Bible was as observable as our phones that we carry? What would it look like? So there you go, right there, yeah. Thanks to our students for that one right there. So w- what if our behavior was that observable and our passion and love, love, love for Jesus is hanging on to that? So with Jesus at the center of the story, at the center of the scene, it, it impacts our behavior. It also impacts our actions, how we, how we act and how we react. Our actions, our behavior, then our, then our actions. In Jesus' most famous sermon, he, um, he brought us to a point by teaching some really, really hard stuff. And I, I think we would all agree that this is hard. This is difficult. But Jesus is saying, if I'm at the center of your life, this is what it's going to look like. Are you ready for it? Matthew chapter 5. You have heard what, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him The other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. How many agree that's tough teaching right there? Yeah, it is. Especially the turn-the-other-cheek thing, because what is our normal reaction is we want to slap back, right? But Jesus is saying, no, don't, don't do that. We'll get to that in just, just a moment. Mark Twain said something I think we would agree with. He says, I have no problem with those parts of the Bible I don't understand. It's those parts of the Bible I do understand that gives me fits, right? So I understand what Jesus is saying because it's actually pretty clear, right? He, he, he's saying that our actions towards one another, is an invitation to a brand new way of life, and one that's observable. So there's something different about you, and there's something different about me. It's observable by others watching, and perhaps on the other end of our behavior and, and our actions. In this passage, Jesus is teaching generosity. It's unexpected generosity. It's, it's really overwhelming generosity. Toward, toward others in life and how we act and how we react. Jen and I were at the at the grocery store. It actually hasn't been all that long ago. And we were in, in line and we were waiting for this other couple of ladies who, I, as I best recall, they were, they, they were on vacation. and were visiting. I think they were from the Carolinas back there. And they were just chatting it up and they were having a great old time and they were laughing and, and all this. And we were just waiting. And they, they paid for their groceries. And then she'd gotten cash back, and she walked away, and she put $60 down on the thing. And she said, that's for your groceries. And I tried to stop them because, honestly, we weren't in need. We could pay for our own groceries. This could be better used somewhere, somewhere else. I tried to stop them. And they just looked at me and laughed and walked away. Here's the deal. I've not forgotten that. I haven't forgotten that. This overwhelming generosity towards other people, you just don't forget that, do you? You don't. And this is what Jesus calls you and me to. He's, a, he's calling us to a brand new way of life. Offer the other cheek might be the most difficult part of that teaching, but Jesus is, is doing this. He's teaching us about a, a, a course of action, right? A lifestyle. That's everything. That's That's Jesus at the center right there that sets us apart from the world where the world speaks of retaliation. Jesus says, don't retaliate, but be marked by your actions of love for others. This is what we get to do. This is what it looks like with Jesus in the center of the story, in the center of the scene, in the center of my life. Finally, um, it's observable in our passions. So our behavior, our actions, and our passions. What do we talk about? What do we live for? John Piper says this, but whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and live it and die for it. And you will make a difference at last. You will not waste your life. What's your passion in life? What has Jesus called you to do? Find what it is. Let it be Christ-exalting. Bible-saturated, and find your way to say it and to live it out in all of life. When Jesus and his word occupy the center of our passions, guess what? People see it. People see it. You don't have to be around me, and you probably know this. You don't have to be around me um, too long to know that i got four grandchildren, and i got one amazing wife, because I'm passionate about um, who they are, I had the privilege of of performing the the wedding for my oldest granddaughter this past summer. And I shared with those that were in attendance, and and my kids know this, that each one of them occupy a private space in my heart, just for them. And in that private space, they are the favorite. My granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, my oldest grandson, and my two youngest granddaughters all have private spaces in my heart. And in that place, you're my favorite. Jesus at the center isn't just a part of the heart. Jesus at the center is the whole heart. Is the whole heart. When I, when I talk about my grandkids when I talk about my wife, I, I brag on them. If you try to walk away from me when I'm talking about my grandkids, I'm going to stop you and say, I'm not done yet. You know, So come on back. I'm going to tell you some more. That's what the passion for Jesus is all about. I just want to tell others about who he is. Because he's the center of life. He's the center of the story. He's the center of the scene. And So I have a question for you as we kind of wrap up here. And here it is right here. What's it look like? What do you need to do? to move Jesus to the center. And for some of us, maybe that's back to the center. Maybe you kind of fall into one of those categories I talked about where things have been going amazingly well in your life and Jesus has just kind of slipped to the back of the scene, back to behind something else. Oh, you'll bring him out. But he doesn't occupy like the very center of your story, the center of your life. Or maybe you have been hurt. You've been hurt by maybe another church or another follower of Jesus, I don't know, or somebody else. And that has caused you to go, you know what, if that's what this is about, I'll just put Jesus back here. W- what do we need to do today to move Jesus to the center of our life where he's our passion and he impacts our behavior, our actions towards others, and, and the passion for life that we have? I'm, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to show you what a, kind of a passionate um, Look at the manger, might be. But when I pray, would you just ask Jesus to speak to you? Say, God, what is it that you would say to me? Are you the center of my life? You're the center of the nativity, but are you the center of my life? So, Father, that's my prayer this morning. That all of us would just do a little bit of reflection on what place you occupy, what space you occupy. Are you the center of the nativity, but are you the center of my life? And do I allow that to impact my behavior and my actions and my passions in all of life? You know, some of us have been hurt. Maybe for some of us things are going really, really well. But, or maybe life has just caused us to kind of put you in a place of, of the story where you don't occupy that center. God, would you just speak to us right now? Would Your Spirit just lead us and direct us, Lord, of maybe the change that we need to make in our life, so we can passionately live out what this season is all about? It's about a Savior who has come to seek and to save all who were lost, and to offer eternal life. I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy to the
0: Heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior. REPEAT THE SOUNDING JOY, REPEAT THE SOUNDING JOY, REPEAT, REPEAT THE SOUNDING JOY. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. NO MORE let SING and SORROWS GO, NO thorns THE GROUND. HE COMES TO MAKE HIS BLESSINGS FALL the curse is found, found, far far as the curse curse is is found, found, far as the curse is found, he rules the world with truth.